Hey, and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. Joining me on the podcast today is Elizabeth Vargas. She is a global business leader, people and technology strategist, board director, and an author. Elizabeth, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is a great topic and so much to discuss. And I really appreciate being included, Sherry. So looking forward to this. You know, as I was looking at your bio in prep of our call today, I am just fascinated at all the work you do. You know, one of the things that you do is you're on the Council of Advisors for SETI Institute, which works with NASA. That's really fascinating. I'd love for you to start maybe just how you got into that space and and how you got into this this space where we talk about the future of work in general. So yeah, so I am involved in the SETI Institute, uh, fabulous organization that has worked for decades, um, really focused on you know understanding the meaning and origin of life in the universe, um, looking at astrobiology, um, and the SETI Institute is you know fascinating because it's really asking the questions that uh, they you know they work on in partnership with the leading space agencies and companies like IBM and Intel. So they really work at the intersection of what we do know and, you know, work on with technology and the questions and answers we need to resolve. Um, I really got into the the space of space, um, to use that bad pun, um, because, you know, I felt candidly, I've always been a space enthusiast. I grew up um, in India in the 70s and the 80s, um, where, you know, looking at and understanding what could happen in outer space with astronomy was really just a you know a glimpse a window into all the possibilities that you know were available to all of us me included so i grew up reading a lot, being interested in astronomy. That's really how I got into that area. And then, you know, engaged with the SETI Institute um, over the years. Um, I've also recently just published a book on um, commercial space exploration and the implications on geopolitics, law, organizations, and leadership talk about hybrid and virtual work, right, in outer space. Um, So the book is called Stellar Singularity. Um, It's available on Amazon. We'll have the paperbacks out shortly. But uh, the reason why, again, I wrote the book is because it lays out some of the considerations and things we're seeing with the acceleration of technology and where we're moving as, you know, not just a business community, not just as a global community, but as a civilization, technology is transforming us and it's transforming us in different arenas, right? It's transforming us in outer space, as I write about in the book, but it's also transforming us in how we interact and how we work, um, which kind of brings us back to the point of, you know, yes, the future of work uh, is impacted by all these things. And I'm fascinated at the at the different variables coming at us and, you know, trying to make sense of what that all looks like for us. As you think about the future of work, what are your thoughts on hybrid work? And, and the reason I ask that question is because I think as talent is evolving and as we have gone through this pandemic slash endemic now, you know, there is this situation potentially brewing between those who can work remote and those who cannot and how we deal with a hybrid work environment. How do you see that evolving over the next several years? So the truth is that we've always had people who could work, you know, 
more effectively in the office and those who struggled with it, right? For a variety of reasons, for a variety of personal choices or life situations, we've always had people who were primary caregivers and, you know, had to drop the kids off at daycare and pack lunches. And you had people who could just show up in the office, you know, la-di-da, without a care in the world. And that's okay. Or, you know, you might have had people, and I use that example, like in the in the case of, you know, gender roles, right? So you always had women who were doing some of that and then showing up into the office. Um, you had men who maybe weren't doing as much. But again, not trying to, you know, draw lines there. Uh, but we did have those instances as the working world has evolved. And you you also had people who've, you know, maybe with disabilities or other, you know, neurotypical challenges may have struggled with coming into the office, right? Or found that more uncomfortable than working virtually or working remotely. What the pandemic has, you know, one shown us, I think, is that the requirements to be tethered to a particular work location are not really a function of technology in the sense that can technology make this happen? That discussion's gone into the trash, right? Can do, it can be done. Um, It's not also a question of can people work remotely? Yes, people can collaborate remotely. They can contribute. They can be ambitious. They can be productive. Um, And what it's really shown uh, all of us is that that decision on whether we bring people and tether them to a physical work, you know, work location is sometimes a function of the work itself, right? You might have postal employees or retail employees who need to stock shelves. But a great part of it for the working population in the developed world, in the formal economy, it's a question of choice. It's a question of decision rights and governance. Somebody somewhere is thinking, okay, I need people to be in the office. I need to see what they're doing. So the pandemic kind of showed us that, showed us what's required, what's not required, and what's possible. Um, So in that context, I think it's forced us or helped us really understand, question some of those paradigms and those assumptions we've made about remote and hybrid work, which I personally believe is a great thing because now we're you know more intentional about requiring somebody to be in the office or even confronting our own inherent bias about someone who is in the office or not. Um, so I think that's actually been very beneficial, and you know we'll see more more conversation on those topics, which I believe again is part of what you know kind of sets us free and helps us you know be more productive. What other changes have you seen? in the workforce as a result of the pandemic? I think the pandemic highlighted and magnified a lot of things that unfortunately already existed. Now, of course, there were some new things that, you know, the pandemic um, caused us to come to terms with. I I won't discuss those. But the truth is that, um, you know, the, the conversations we had around how work needs to get done or where it needs to get done um, has always been a point of contention and discussion. We've always had multi or intergenerational differences in how people have perceived work, how they've perceived the employment relationship. The, The pandemic just magnified or, you know, just shone a light on all of those things. It didn't really necessarily create some of those things. Um, now, I, you know, one example I give often when I talk about this is, you know, when I worked with um, with a consulting firm many years ago, pre-pandemic, a good decade almost before the pandemic, we had started seeing this trend where, you know, senior managers who were at the cusp of making partner were not really as engaged by the idea of just the corner office and the idea of just making partner, right? It wasn't 
wasn't just about progression and working for the gold watch. Uh, people had already started asking, right, what is the meaning of this progression, this career path? Is it meaningful to my work-life balance, to my personal goals? Is getting that corner office really worth all these other things I may have to um, set aside on the way? And people were making choices. So I think that became, you know, something we were talking about already, right? We talked about the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys, the, you know, the millennials, etc. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, my view on how this is evolving. Um, and in terms of where I think things are going to go further is that we're going to see more and more technology allowing us to, one, ensure trust in the sense that, um, and I'll explain that in a second, and also in some ways monitor trust. Trust really becomes the biggest variable that helps organizations decide what to do. Um, and when I talk about you know enabling trust is that, you know, one, Technologies like blockchain, I write about that in my book, Blockchain Reaction, provides much more validation of credentials, identity. So that's going to allow us to actually have more trusted um, remote work, right? Because you can have technology validate people. On the other hand, we're starting to see more and more at least conversations around monitoring keystrokes and, you know, productivity of employees, like contentious topic. But people are also saying, okay, you know what, maybe I it's okay to use some of these or people really don't care that I have, because you know what, they don't care about cookies tracking their activity anyway. And we've always had companies um, that said, you know, you can visit a type of site during work hours, right? So they're just also kind of starting to extend that a little bit more in terms of monitoring activity. So anyway, so I think we're seeing both those things, which again, in my humble opinion, you know, just uh, just an exacerbation of old things, <laughs> not nothing very different. You mentioned a couple of things, blockchain, you know, uh, monitoring software. I think about other things like you know, Bitcoin and Web3 and all of this technology that's coming out. You know, how how do leaders prepare for this new next when it comes to all of this technology if they don't they don't even know where to begin? You know, I think we reach those points, you know, you know, I'm in my my 40s. And and so these are new terms to me. And I'm like, OK, now I need to do some more research, um, whereas, you know, my children are getting inundated with this kind of technology now. So how do we prepare our leaders for now for some of these things and for the future skill sets that they're going to need um, in a more technology utilized environment? You know, when I talk to clients and CIOs about the future of work, one of the things that comes up a lot is cloud native skills or cloud native development, which is, you know, basically developing or building things that are accessed through the cloud, right? And I kind of think of that as a good example of almost that generational differences because, you know, I'm in my 40s too and I have teenagers and younger kids, right? And the way they approach technology, they are technology natives, right? And I am admittedly not, uh, but I've, you know, kind of embraced it. I've immigrated or migrated into that because of my interest or by necessity. Uh, So I think it's important, you know, for us as, leaders and business folk to really understand that, you know, there is this kind of state of mind where you are technology native. Now, you may not be born like that if you're from a, you know, different discipline, for example, if you're in the arts or from a different, you know, generation or time of exposure to technology, or it might be just by choice or the, you know, the, uh, the circumstance of your employment journey. But you can immigrate into that 
you know, world of being a technology native, right? You can learn, you can absorb, you can network with people who, you know, who you can assimilate, right? And I kind of use that example because they are in some ways two different states of being, um, but we kind of all need to be technologically native, especially as we are seeing an increase in the ubiquitous of technology, like it's everywhere, right? We talk about augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence. And as technology becomes more useful to us, it's really important for us to really know that it should not operate as a black box. We have to know what's in there, what's driving it, who's setting up the cookies and what do they do on our laptops, right? Um, so when you, so that's, I think, kind of a, you know, the landscape of what we're journeying through. Um, and for leaders, I think the folks, you know, um, who are in different places, right, with this uh, technology and nativity, um, it, you know, some of it is really understanding that you, you do have to study it. You do have to be interested in it. You have to be accepting of it. Um, and I, you, again, you know, if I use the immigration analogy, right, you know, you move from one country to another, you have to understand and want to understand the culture. You have to understand uh, and, you know, uh, be interested in what uh, opportunities it can provide for you. So I think if we kind of adopt that mindset, um, it's important. And if leaders don't, I think the the risk is that, you know, one, from a business organization perspective, you could just get left behind. You're not going to be on that spaceship to that, you know, to, to success um, if, you know, if you're not going to be interested. Um, and two, I think, um, and we've seen this a lot, right, with organizations that have adapted their strategy differently to the evolution of technology. You're just not going to have, you know, not evolving, going to be static. Um, and, you know, I'll say one other thing in terms of the evolution and the adoption of technology, right? Um, we, we're seeing that tradition, traditional consulting, for example, right? Or, you know, we had all these strategy consultants who would sit down and say, oh, what's your business strategy? What's your market, you know, uh, competitive approach? How are you going to get ahead of everybody else? And then they would come up with a technology strategy that helps you implement that strategy. What we're seeing today is that your business strategy is actually defined by the possibilities of technology. They're inextricably linked, right? So if you understand what technology can do, you can actually come up with an entirely different, radical, completely successful business model, right? So that that uh, complete integration of technology with business strategy, I think, is a big part of what we're seeing. And again, leaders need to understand that. Um, and, you know, we can all learn it, right? Um, uh, so it's it's not it's not a closed boundary that nobody can cross. Uh, we just have to want to, to, to get there. The example you gave about going to a new country and wanting to learn all about that country that really resonates with me as we talk about learning technology, right? It's this desire to just, you know, inundate yourself in a culture, in in everything about the culture. How does it work? You know, what's the politics? What is, how does transportation work? All of the inner workings of a culture that you think about is a really great way to think about learning technology. So I, I super appreciate that example. You know, as you think about this next chapter in work and the um, marriage to technology, what are you most excited for? I'm personally very excited and inspired by the fact that technology is bringing us to a point where we can allow access to opportunity um, to be um, 
untethered or unfettered by one where you sit while you work, right? You and I saying different, we're still working together and having a great conversation. So technology is helping us do that. And by when that happens, it's going to ensure that, you know, the best and the brightest of our global community can tap into opportunities and access the same kind of, you know, jobs and um, education and collaborative, you know, uh, cohorts that they may have been restricted to by uh, by by their physical or geographical location. So I think technology is really democratizing opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned my work on blockchain and uh, the use of digital credentials and digital wallets for skills will ensure that, you know, if you and I are looking for a coder, we can find the best coder no matter where they sit uh, in the world. And we'll be, you know, we can figure out a way to work with them, right? We don't have to worry about flying them into New York or wherever we are. Um, and, and the second is that, um, as we're moving increasingly to a skill-based economy, technology is going to help us validate the credentials of these people around the world and really ensure that remote and hybrid work is not just feasible, it's also um, something we're comfortable with and you know we all use as needed so that we can also kind of have a better, richer life um, on, on many levels. Well, Elizabeth, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm so excited to see what is in our future for work and how we intersect with technology on an everyday basis in our organization. So thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me. Of course, this was so much fun. Thank you so much, Sherry. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.